You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, yes, you will. Wake up. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. This week I do. I got the feeling that something right. Right, but it's getting righter. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, they are. Yes, I to the left of me, on the right of me, welcome to the broadcast on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San, uh, San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. And on the TuneIn Radio apps and the Stitcher Radio apps on your smartphone. Of course, we are broadcasting once again with 110,000 blazing watts across the Southland. And glad you could join us. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, if no one else. Glad you could join us. We are live today for the broadcast, and it is a big week. It is a big gay week, so we are going to be having a big gay show. I know you're going to want to stay tuned for that, as uh, the Supreme Court has been hearing the uh, Prop 8 case and the uh, Defense Marriage Act case. We're going to talk about all of that momentarily with our friend Mike Rogers. Uh, and a little bit later in the show, I'm going to... A very interesting story out of Florida, a Florida election cyber hack mystery. Uh, even NBC News described it as the first known cyber attack on a U.S. election. It took place during last year's primary. Where else? In the state of Florida, in Miami-Dade. And we have a potential new clue to that mystery today. Uh, it's about someone who used the online Miami-Dade absentee ballot request system to request 2,500 absentee ballots online in three different races last August in the state primary there. So we're going we'll to talk about that in a little bit. But first, of course, the big news is the Supreme Court this week, and I'm delighted uh, to get right to it here as I'm joined by Mike Rogers, the managing director of RawStory.com. He's the creator of BlogActive.com. He's also the inspiration behind Kirby Dick's 2009 documentary film Outrage, described as, quote, a searing expose of the secret lives of closeted gay politicians. Uh, you know, I've been talking to... Mike, now for years, I think we're going on a decade. My old uh, show on, on the weekend, uh, old syndicated show, uh, I used to bring Mike on and we would have what we called the Big Gay Hour <laughs> back, back, starting way back, like 2004, 2005. Given what's gone on this week at the, uh, at the Supreme Court, uh, given what's gone on over the last 10 years, it seemed only right to bring Mike on to talk about uh, where we are and how we got here. Hey, Mike Rogers, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. 
Always good to hear your voice, Brad. Del- Thanks for having me on. Delighted to have you back. It, it, it has indeed been a big gay week at the, uh, let's say, the end of a big gay decade, Mike. Um, Bigger than I thought. Like when I've seen the news sites and yeah. everything, it's actually, I mean, I thought it would be a story. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I never thought that it would be something this big. Oh, this is huge. This is huge. And it's interesting because it sort of culminates, you know, at the end of really this decade of, uh, of, of challenges over marriage equality. Uh, and well, before we get into that, let me just uh, let people know who you are. You've, uh, I know you don't like this word, but you've outed. A few people over the years, a few politicians. I know you prefer the word uh, "reporting on their hypocrisy." If yeah, I, but if I, I recall, out except outing is the nomenclature in society. Okay, so you've it outed me a lot of explaining. Indeed, and and you started outing people as a fact. As a matter of fact, you started Blog Active, which I don't think is active anymore. But I think you started Blog Active back in what was it, two thousand and four. I did in the uh, summer of 2004 in response to marriage as an issue, in response to the, uh, George W. Bush and specifically Ken Melman and Karl Rove designing this whole program to put marriage ballots, marriage initiatives on all these state ballots. I thought it was time to start calling out gay people who were making this happen, who were uh, working behind the scenes to hurt the LGBT community. Who were, in fact, gay themselves, and who, who are just some of the people, and it's it's uh, covered in the film Outrage, but who were just uh, some of those politicians who you uh, who you outed along the along the years? I think, you know, we, we did uh, Larry Craig first on, on the radio, on national radio. We did um, Charlie Crist at one point reported on, uh, reported on Mark Foley about a year before that came out. Mm-hmm. So it... Um, but I think in this instance, the most interesting case to point to is a gentleman by the name of Dan Gurley. He was the deputy political director of the Republican National Committee. Mm-hmm. I outed him. He was the guy responsible in 2004 for these heinous flyers that was a man on his knee slipping a ring on his friend. And then there's like, you know, do you want to ban the Bible? right. And, you know, so and this guy was a closeted gay man who, during the day, was making these flyers, and at night, was going on the internet seeking sex with multiple partners. And uh, I exposed that, and he left his job; he had no choice. Mm-hmm. And now he's working for LGBT rights, and here he was, such a huge leader in, in the anti-marriage movement. And, and we see a similar story with uh, with Ken Melman, who was the campaign chief for uh, Bush Cheney in 2004, uh, gay himself. He, he didn't come out until some years later. Uh, now he is one of about a hundred uh, Republicans who have signed on to an amicus brief uh, related to the Prop 8 case at the Supreme Court. Uh, have these guys like Dan Gurley, Ken Melman, uh, uh, Mike Rogers, as you see it, uh, have they... Uh, made up for their crimes of the past, uh, if you will? Have they come around? Have they uh, apologized? Have they made good on all the damage and all the harm that they caused with those campaigns back in 2004? Well, I think that they are certainly very, very well on their way. You know, and it's really interesting because people say to me, I know you'll be the last one to forgive Ken Melman. I say that's not true. You know, I think that Ken Melman has... Realize, I, I think he's not totally 
forthright, as they say in politics. In other words, I think he lied. He knew he was gay for since college, at mm-hmm. least. Um, and so I think in that perspective, but now what Ken is doing is he is out there and he is using his power and context to undo a lot of what he did. That's great. Two points about that are Ken also does things like fundraisers for John Boehner. So while he's out there on this one issue for the gay community, mm-hmm. he's out there doing things that are harming the larger progressive world. Now, don't get me wrong, there's merit in working on both of those, but as a progressive, to know that he's out there raising money for the likes of John Boehner uh, and those guys in Congress to keep them in power, it's, you know, it's almost, it's, it just shows, it shows a certain selfishness that this particular issue matters to me, so I will fight for it. But the other stuff, I'm going to stay with the anti-gay, yeah. uh, self-benefiting team, low taxes, etc. Well, and not, by the way, not just uh, you know keeping those guys in power, guys like John Boehner, but it was John Boehner and the Republicans uh, in the House uh, who are defending, who defended the Defense of Marriage Act today in the U.S. Supreme Court. The, uh, the Obama administration decided they could no longer defend what they saw as an unconstitutional law. And so the Republicans in the House, John Boehner, they spent, uh, I think, a million and a half of your taxpayer dollars to defend this law, DOMA, Defense of Marriage Act, uh, which is most likely, it appears, going to be found unconstitutional. Uh, we're going to get into some of the details of the cases uh, this week at the Supreme Court. Got some interesting audio from yesterday's hearing on Prop 8 of keen note, certainly to people in California. But it's really, it's a national case. It's a case of national import. Um but I haven't had time yet to plow through this morning's, uh, uh, the transcript for this morning's Defense of Marriage Act case. So let me defer here to Sahil Kapoor at the, uh, at TPM. He writes, a majority of the Supreme Court justices delivered a beating to the Defense of Marriage Act during oral arguments Wednesday, signaling a positive outcome for marriage equality. The four liberal-leaning justices and Justice Anthony Kennedy appeared deeply skeptical that the federal government has legal justification for treating gay and straight couples unequally. They seemed inclined to overturn Section 3 of the 1996 law, which prohibits federal recognition of same-sex marriage and thereby denies benefits to gay and lesbian couples, even if they are legally wed in their states. In this line of questioning, Kennedy, who has a track record in favor of gay rights, repeatedly contended that the federal government had exceeded its constitutional authority. Quote, you are at real risk of running in conflict with what has always been thought to be the essence of state police power, which is to regulate marriage, divorce, custody, he told Paul Clement, the lawyer arguing in favor of upholding DOMA. When Clement tried to argue that it was a valid exercise of federal power and does not infringe on states' rights, I'm not even sure how he could make that argument, uh, Kennedy asked why Congress could deny benefits, quote, where the voters have decided that same-sex marriage ought to be legal. And he replied, I think it is a DOMA problem. The question is whether or not the federal government, under our federalism scheme, has the authority to regulate marriage. Mike Rogers, what we are seeing here for the first time 
really, is this notion of uh, federalism and states' rights being used to protect a right. Uh, you know, the, the right of uh, a same-sex couple who got married. Usually the argument, historically over the years, has been used, you know, by segregationists. Well, we want to, uh, you know, keep black people from voting uh, or we want to, you know, keep slavery. States' rights. Well, now you have a case where uh, you would think Republicans would be in favor of doing away with the Defense of Marriage Act because, after all, certain states have decided that they want to allow uh, same-sex marriage in their states. Similarly, when it comes to things like Prop 8 and uh, treating people equally under the law, you would think that would be an issue for conservatives that they would be in favor of. So I'm starting to think that all of these right-wingers who call themselves conservative, Mike Rogers, really aren't all that conservative after all. Am I, am I wrong here? I think you're right. What I think is really interesting is that some of these guys that fancy themselves as conservatives are smart enough to look into the future. I mean, you looked at Jeb Bush mm -hmm. uh, the other day, said that he believes it should be up to the states to decide uh, who, who, you know, the whole marriage question. That's pretty extraordinary when you think of what his brother's campaigns did in terms of manipulating the American people. The... Well, what is amazing to me is that these conservatives are so short-sighted, Brad, that they won't realize they are going to be on the wrong side of history. They should go home and talk to their children <laughs> and realize they are going to be on the wrong side. Well, they have lost. There, there's no question. It, at this right. point, it's only a matter of time. You know, I think that uh, the Defense of Marriage Act is going to be tossed out. Uh, Prop 8 is uh, perhaps a little bit more complicated. Of course, it's uh, a dangerous game trying to read the tea leaves of the Supreme Court from their hearings. But it looks to me like uh, they're going to get rid of Defense of uh, Marriage Act. Prop 8 is uh, a different issue. We'll get into some of those details in a moment, Mike. But, you know, I, I, I couldn't help thinking this week as I was listening to these uh, these hearings in the Supreme Court and thinking about uh, our discussions, uh, your and my discussions going back to, you know, 2004, 2005 on these issues when people wouldn't even, you know, uh, uh, talk about uh, the idea of, of marriage equality. That was way outside of the mainstream. Uh, back when I started writing about it at Brad blog, uh, you know, people just presumed I was gay because I was writing about it, because that's how few people were willing to talk about it back then. Exactly. But, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I'm wondering if with the weaponization, if you will, of gay marriage back in 2004, it was put on the ballot by Rove and Ken Melman, you know, right. in order to get out the social cons people who call themselves social conservatives, it was weaponized. Do you think, Mike, that... Uh, having done that in 2004 actually ha has hastened the day that we are now seeing hastened marriage equality, that the blowback from what happened in 2004 means that we're going to have uh, marriage equality across this country even earlier than we might have had had they uh, just shut up about it back in 2004. I absolutely think you are correct. They moved this ball so forward. 
um, that when I was talking to a colleague the other day, they said, you know, what do I see as the two greatest factors of this? And that is one of them, this whole, the reality that, you know, when I was with my nephew who was raised partially in a conservative church and he was saying, oh, I told, you know, our church, don't worry, Uncle Michael, we don't beat up gay people. We're very, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it, when someone like that is saying get what they, you know, (laughs) where with the program, then you have to really wonder these guys, they don't, they're, they just, it's, it's so obvious that it's backlash to their backlash. When you saw that, I think that was made very clear when Barack Obama uh, spoke out publicly for the second time. He spoke out publicly for marriage in 1996 and then retracted, but when he came out for marriage again as president, um, I think you saw the effects right there of what Bush did eight years before. Well, then maybe you owe an apology. Or I'm sorry, maybe you owe a thank you to Ken yeah, Melman and Dan Gurley uh, for what but they incidentally, did. Incidentally, one thing I, I left off, Melman and Gurley and all of these guys, Yeah. there's just one more thing I want them to do. Yeah. One more thing. I want them to spend an afternoon with the mother and father of a kid who killed himself during the 2004 election cycle. Mm. And then, and then they will understand the effects of what they did. And then with their doing good, I will consider them. I, but if we are not on the left willing to forgive and embrace people who were not in agreement with us, mm-hmm. Then let's just shut the whole movement down right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the goal should be to pull people over. Yeah, it's interesting because I've heard a lot of blowback and uh, from you know against people like uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, all of these Democratic senators who are now coming out in favor of marriage equality. Uh, Rob Portman, the Republican senator, the only Republican senator senator to come out uh, from Ohio last week, you know, after uh, his son, as it turns out, uh, told him he was gay two years ago. So I've heard a lot of people who are who are mad at these people saying, want, yeah, well, I it's about time. Of, I want one of Rob Portman's kids to lose his health insurance, and then Rob Portman will be for health insurance. Exactly. At some, at some point, some of these Republican senators are going to realize they have daughters, and they're going to be in favor of women's rights, too. Right. But... I, Someone you, said, "If all of their kids get sick, think of how. If all their kids get poor and sick, think of how great the country would be." There you go. That's apparently that's what it now takes. But you know what? We'll we'll take what we can get because ultimately, what we're seeing now is, uh, you know, this fight I think is all but over. And in looking at the arguments at the Supreme Court this week, uh, Mike Rogers. I'm speaking with Mike Rogers, a uh, managing director of RawStory.com, and if you hear him tell it, the star of the documentary film Outrage. Um, the, uh, the Supreme Court, that, that, Brad, you claim yeah. you're the star of this show, so it all comes around. Well, it is named after me, Mike, but anyway, True. uh, the, the, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, has essentially, they have found marriage to be a fundamental right 14 times since the 1880s. Now, so is there any question, Mike Rogers, uh, and we can even uh, toss this open to the phones, if anybody can help me out here, because there was a lot of people in California who who voted in favor of Prop 8 and therefore against marriage equality. 
in this uh, in this state. Uh, you can let me know. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Here's my question. Is there anything left here above and beyond the issue of uh, equal protection under the law? Period. I, uh, listening to this hearing, and we'll play a clip in a second here, but listening to this hearing yesterday on, on Prop 8, hearing um, the proponents of Prop 8 try to defend banning gay marriage was laughable. They got into issues of procreation, uh, and we'll play some of that. Uh, Justice Kagan dispatched with that pretty uh, pretty well. Uh, Scalia was making up issues, as he is wont to do these days, about sociological issues. So, it, to me, there's nothing else here other than equal protection under the law. If uh, opposite-sex couples get are allowed to be married... Same-sex couples are allowed to be married. Equal protection under the law, a very conservative idea. Is there anything left, Mike? Is there any other argument? Uh, is there any argument anymore against marriage equality that's a legitimate argument? You know, every single argument about marriage equality that is against marriage equality is biblically based. And the Capitol is not a church. And the Supreme Court is not a church or a synagogue or a mosque. And if you take these religious arguments out about, you know, God intended one man, one woman, and all of this Mishagas craziness, if you take those crazy, but even Bill O'Reilly <laughs> I mean, Bill O'Reilly, people said to me, Mike, are you sure the article on the site isn't from The Onion? Bill O'Reilly smacking down the anti-gay marriage Bible thumpers. I mean... <laughs> Even he came out and he said they have uh, the right argument, that those proponents of marriage equality have the right argument. Let, let me, uh, Mike, let me play a couple of, uh, a couple of clips here from yesterday's Supreme Court hearing on Prop 8. Uh, as uh, Charles Cooper, who was trying to defend Prop 8 was trying to offer reasons for its defense, and he was, in this case, literally laughed out of the courtroom uh, during questioning with uh, Justice Kagan. Um, because we think that the focus of marriage really should be on procreation, uh, we're not going to give marriage licenses anymore to any couple where both people are over the age of 55. Would that be constitutional? No, Your Honor, it would not be constitutional. Because that's the same state interest, I would think. You know, if you're over the age of 55, you don't help us serve the government's interest in regulating procreation through marriage. So why is that different? Your Honor, even with respect to couples over the age of 55, it is very rare that both, couple, both parties uh, to the couple are infertile. And the traditional uh, uh, no, really, because if a couple, <laughs> I can just assure you, if both the woman and the man are over the age of 55, there are not a lot of children coming out of that marriage. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went on. Uh, Charles Cooper, you know, went on to try to make this argument that oh well, men uh, never lose their ability to procreate, and therefore. Uh, that's why uh, marriage should be restricted to opposite-sex couples. And uh, Kagan was trying to say, yes, but if they're both over 55, we shouldn't allow them to marry under this theory. 
Um, there was, and literally, he was laughed out of court. There was another clip I, I want to play a little bit longer here. Um, this was Scalia trying to help out Charles Cooper at the Supreme Court, trying to uh, come up with a reason why uh, why uh, marriage equality, uh, same-sex marriage, should not be allowed. And frankly, Antonin Scalia, as he did in the Voting Rights Act, was kind of just making stuff up, as far as I can tell. Let's give that a listen. What what harm to the institution of marriage or to opposite-sex couples, how does this cause and effect work? Once again, I, I, I would reiterate that we don't believe that's the correct legal question before the court and that the correct question is whether or not um, redefining marriage to include same-sex couples would advance the interests of marriage as opposed to... Well, then are, are you conceding the point that there is no harm or denigration uh, to uh, traditional opposite-sex uh, marriage couples? So no, you're conceding that? No, Your Honor, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not conceding that. Well, I, and I've got two minutes. it seems to me that you should have to address Justice Kagan's question. Thank you, Justice Kennedy. I have two points to make on that. <coughs> the first one is this. The, the plaintiff's expert acknowledged that redefining marriage will have real-world consequences and that it is impossible for anyone to foresee the future accurately enough to know exactly what those real-world consequences would be. And uh, among those real-world consequences, Your Honor, we would suggest are adverse consequences. Mr. Cooper, if, let, me, let me give you one, one concrete thing. I don't know why you don't mention some concrete things. That's uh, clear. If you redefine marriage to include same-sex couples, you must you must uh, permit adoption by same-sex couples. And there's, there's considerable uh, disagreement among, among sociologists as to uh, what the consequences of raising a child in a, in a, in a, in a single-sex uh, family, uh, wh whether that is uh, harmful uh, to the child or not. Uh, some states do not, uh, do not permit uh, adoption by same-sex couples. For that reason. So that was Justice Antonin Scalia saying that among uh, sociologists, there's considerable disagreement uh, about whether raising the consequences of raising a child in a single sex family, whether that's harmful to the child or not. As it turns out, uh, I have not been able to find any such disagreement. The American Psychological Association uh, says this on uh, children raised by gay and lesbian parents. They say on the basis of remarkably a remarkably consistent body of research on lesbian and gay parents and their children, the American Psychological Association and other health professional and scientific organizations have concluded that there is no scientific evidence that parenting effectiveness is related to parent, uh, parental sexual orientation. That is, lesbian and gay parents are as likely as heterosexual parents to provide supportive and healthy environments for children. That's what the research actually says. Justice Scalia seems to have made up this notion that there is considerable disagreement among sociologists the same way uh, a few weeks ago in the Voting Rights Act, he made up this notion. Uh, he, he said that uh, there was, uh, what did he call it, a, a perpetual, that the Voting Rights Act was a perpetual racial entitlement. He said people have written about this, and as it turns out, the only people who have written about this 
were Justice Antonin Scalia in a case about 20 years ago. So, Mike Rogers, if uh, it is not about procreation, if there is no harm uh, that is brought, if there, in truth, is no sociological disagreement, is there anything left for the uh, proponents of banning gay marriage in this entire country? The Bible, Brad, the Bible. That's it. That's all they got, the right? That's what it's all about. <sighs> Which is... Well, it's about two things. It's about the Bible and it's about making money. You uh-huh. know, And you know they're just not honest people when things like this happen. They lose the marriage vote in the New York State Legislature. And they put out a plan that includes driving money into races to flip the New York State Assembly from Democrat to Republican. So all it's about is making money. It's about continuing the racket, the Republican racket, because they can raise money on this and occasionally get people out to the polls. But uh, here's the thing. This is the great part. There is no way on this planet that... They will. They. I don't care if they have a hundred million dollars. They wouldn't be able to flip the New York State Assembly the way the state is laid out and the districts are. Mm-hmm. It's just not happening. The Assembly will be a Democratic body, but they're out there. Their plan, their big whole kind of you know, mm-hmm. this is what we're all about, and we're wonderful. Uh, is about how they're going to flip the New York State Assembly, and and if they're tell, if they're selling that to people, then that should be illegal. I mean, that should really be something that somebody should be able to come down and say, you know what, you're selling snake oil here. Let me play one other clip from the hearing yesterday, because this is actually broader than Prop 8. This is, you know, we've got the Supreme Court now uh, choosing all of these, really, these landmark cases. And uh, hang on a second. Hang on, G. I'm, I'm going to find the number here in a second. But we've got the Supreme Court choosing these landmark cases now. Voting Rights Act, uh, marriage equality, affirmative action. These are all coming before the court. And the Obama administration's solicitor general, Donald Varelli, appears to be terrible. He was, uh, I would argue that the Affordable Care Act was approved by the Supreme Court despite Verrilli's argument on behalf of the Obama administration, not because of it. Uh, I agree. The the, the Voting Rights Act, uh, here's something that happened on the Voting Rights Act, uh, a little piece from Washington Post a couple of weeks ago, right after the hearing on the Voting Rights Act. Um, the, quote, the grilled shrimp appetizer had just arrived at the 128th annual Press Paul's Gridiron Dinner Saturday night when NAACP President Ben Jealous fell into conversation with a fellow white-tied dinner guest about the Supreme Court's recent argument over the Voting Rights Act. The distinguished-looking gentleman told Jealous he thought the NAACP Legal Defense Fund lawyer, Debo Adigbile, had done a fine job arguing that the law needed to be continued. Continued, sure, but what happened to the Solicitor General? Jealous wondered aloud. He was just awful. Well, I am the Solicitor General, Donald Verrilli Jr. replied. (laughs) An apparently mortified Jealous apologized profusely and excused himself from the table for what seemed to uh, folks at the table an awfully long time, returning just about when the... uh, Petite fours and uh, uh, coffee arrived. Uh, I, I got to say, he said out loud, if this actually happened as described, uh, what a lot of us were thinking when we listened to that Voting Rights Act case. And now, just to give you an idea, 
this is Verrilli arguing uh, on behalf of the U.S., on behalf of the Obama administration, uh, yesterday in the Prop 8 case, and he was just horrible. You'll see what, uh, you'll see what I mean here. You're asking us to impose this on the whole country, not just California. No, respectfully, Justice Scalia, we are not. Our position is narrower than that. Our position, uh, the the position we have taken is about states, it applies to states that have, like California and perhaps other states that have granted these rights short of marriage. Is it the position of the United States that same-sex marriage is not required throughout the country? We're not uh, — we, we are not taking the position that it is required throughout the country. We think that that ought to be left open no. for future uh, adjudication in, no. in other states that don't have the situation California has. So your, your position is only if a state allows civil unions does it become unconstitutional to uh, forbid same-sex marriage, right? Our, our position is — I would just take out a red pen and — Take the word only out of that sentence. When that is true, then the Equal Protection Clause uh, uh, forbids the exclusion of same-sex marriage, and it's an open question otherwise. You say it's got to happen right now in California, but you don't even have a position about whether it's required in the rest it's, of the country. It, it, the, with respect to a state that allows gay couples to have children and to have families and then denies the, the stabilized so it's got to happen right away in those states where same-sex couples have every legal right that married couples do. Well, we think but you can wait in states where they have fewer legal what rights. What I say is an open question with respect to those states, and the <sighs> court should wait and see what kind of a record a state could make. But in California, you can't make the record to justify the exclusion. What a horrible Horrible argument, uh, Mike Rogers. That was General Donald Verrilli arguing on behalf of the Obama administration, essentially saying that if a state has decided uh, that that uh, gay couples are allowed to have civil unions, then they also must be allowed to, uh, you know, that they must allow marriage equality in those states. But the states that haven't even allowed civil unions, they don't have to do anything. That was the argument that he was making. So, you know, they're, they're, they're rewarding states that don't even allow civil unions under this argument made by Donald Varelli. Mike Rogers, this guy is terrible. He is an awful advocate for just about anything, it seems, that the Obama administration wants to argue at the Supreme Court. Well, and, you know, Brad, somebody rehearsed this with him. Somebody in the U.S. Justice Department was involved in this. They, you know, he's not, a, he doesn't get to be, you know, the Lone Ranger at the rodeo. So I want to know why is the Solicitor General taking an opposite view, allegedly, what I thought the President said, that he is for marriage equality in the United States of America. He didn't say he was for marriage equality in the states that have civil unions, but let the other states decide if they want to have marriage equality. That's not what he said. No. Well, what what they're doing, once again, is uh, coming up with the absolute most conservative, quote-unquote conservative way uh, to handle these issues. And they're saying, well, let's let's not force it on everybody. We don't want people in Alabama to hate us now. So right. we're only going to worry with uh, the states that, uh, you know, have allowed civil unions. As far as equal protection under the law everywhere else, 
That's not Why? our worry. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's an amazing uh, it's it's just amazing uh you know just come out and say it that we all deserve equal rights under the law how hard right. is that apparently for this president mike anyway you know, there's there's something uh, something in the government where it's like this there's this belief in this government that you can achieve in the middle but that never happens no it never happens. Civil Rights Act, Medicaid, Medicare, you know, all of the things, unemployment, Social Security, all the things that were created good for the country, they, the other side was dragged to kicking and screaming. Yeah. It was, it's, apparently it's not hope and change, it's hope for change, maybe, some <laughs> days. Uh, Mike Rogers, great catching up with you, uh, my, my big gay friend, Mike Rogers Thanks from, for from com, the creator of blogactive.com and the inspiration. Uh, go check out the film. If you haven't seen it, go check out Outrage, uh, Kirby Dick's 2009 documentary film. Uh, Mike, uh, you, you are the star of that film and, uh, I suspect we will be talking again very soon in the future. Thanks, Mike. Mike. Thank you, Brad. by you right here on the broadcast on KPFK. We're going to take a quick break and come back uh, with a, uh, a new clue in a cyber hack, an election cyber hack mystery in the state of Florida, plus Desi Doyen and the Green News. All of that is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is KPFK. I'm Lila Garrett. Usually Connect the Dots is on the air Monday mornings from 7 to 8, and we will be back next Monday. But last Monday, the whole day was preempted for Spanish broadcasting. So this week on Thursday afternoon from 3 to 4, Connect the Dots will be joining you to discuss our broken system and how to fix it. We'll tackle the organizations supporting the 1%, which are proliferating like a fungus throughout our country and the world, with Lisa Graves of PRWatch.org. We'll discuss our broken Congress in which Democrats and Republicans become more indistinguishable with every vote, with new congressman from Florida, Alan Grayson. And we'll cover the urgency of keeping San Onofre, the crippled nuclear facility near San Diego, closed with the man who coined the phrase, no nukes, author of Solotopia, Harvey Wasserman. 
That's Thursday from 3 to 4 for a special Connect the Dots. They've been struck by a smooth criminal down in Florida, down in Miami-Dade. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Going to be joined momentarily by Desi Doyen for some green news. But first, an absentee ballot cyber attack in Florida. One month ago, the Miami Herald's Patricia Maze unleashed an excellent investigative report on an attempted series of online cyber hacks of absentee ballot requests prior to last August's primary election in Miami-Dade County, Florida. The case went to a grand jury. It turned out there were some 2,500 absentee ballots that were requested online fraudulently. And uh, the, the whoever was doing this was using uh, an anonymous uh, proxy Internet protocol, an IP address from foreign countries, to hide their real identities. And now we don't yet know who it is and why they were doing this. They were requesting these ballots in three different races, three different districts, uh, three different primaries, two uh, Republican areas and one Democratic area. Uh, and uh, they were stopped. They were blocked. These absentee ballots never went out. There's a couple of really interesting points here, though. Uh, one... The IP addresses from these foreign countries were given to the grand jury, but what Miami Herald later on found out is that before those foreign IP addresses were used, there were several that were used from Miami-Dade area itself, and yet those IP addresses were never given to the grand jury, were never given to the prosecutors on this case. So someone was using a local IP address to request all of these absentee ballots fraudulently. Now, they were uh, they were asking for uh, infrequent voters, so voters who probably weren't going to vote in that primary race. But there's another mystery here, another several other mysteries. One, they did not change the address, uh, the mailing address for these absentee ballots. So it's unclear how this scheme was supposed to have worked. Because if, in fact, they hadn't blocked these fraudulent requests, they would have sent out the 2,500 uh, absentee ballots to the actual voters. And how do you commit uh, uh, a fraud in that case other than, you know, be there when the ballots show up in the mailbox and, and take them home? That was one of the mysteries surrounding this case for which we may have, uh, if not an answer, Certainly an interesting clue at this point. Uh, Bev Harris over at blackboxvoting.org on Friday came up with um, an explanation for that. She points out that uh, the printing and mailing of absentee ballots is generally jobbed out to third-party contractors by election officials. So third parties are given the database of the voters who have requested absentee ballots, and then they take care of the job from there of printing out the ballots, mailing them out. 
So often the co- uh, the company hired for this job is publicly known and is vetted, but that contractor sometimes hires yet another outfit to do the actual printing and, and mailing of the ballots. She writes, quote, if you have a few thousand strategically targeted extra ballots that you know are bogus and you reroute the database to an off-the-public-record consultant during the print and mail phase, you can deliver those ballots anywhere you want. They can all be sent to the same address. No one would know. She goes on, I'm not sure what vendor Miami-Dade County is using to print and mail ballots. Some Florida counties use Runbeck out of Arizona by way of Tampa. But regardless of who they use, it isn't the Miami-Dade elections people who actually do the mailing. Whoever does the print and mail phase has both the absentee request database and total control over where absentee ballots go. So there you go. Just another reason why I have long been arguing against vote-by-mail, against absentee uh, voting, unless it's absolutely necessary because, you know, these uh, these 2,500 ballots could have been sent to someone uh, to vote uh, fraudulently. That's something that the prosecutor needs to look into. They have now reopened the case uh, to look at these Miami-Dade IP addresses to try to figure out who this was, because right now they have no idea who did this. One other aspect of this story really uh, jumped out at me, uh, and that is that it underscores... Once again, the menace, the danger of the idea of Internet voting. And we're hearing this a lot across the country, particularly out here in California, where there's going to be a a new secretary of state coming in in a couple of years. And a lot of the Democrats who are uh, said to be interested in the job have come out in favor of Internet voting. Uh, You know, even people like Gavin Newsom writes about it in his book, Citizenville, Despite the fact that every world-class computer scientist and security expert has warned against Internet voting. So when you hear that it's safe, when you hear that it can be done securely, please know that the greatest computer security experts in the world say that is absolutely not the case. I'll give you a couple of quick examples here. Uh, some folks we've talked to over the years that were quoted in the uh, in the NBC report on this. J. Alex Halderman, the University of Mi- uh, Michigan computer science professor behind the successful remote hack of a mock Internet voting system, which had been set for use in a real election, by the way, in Washington, D.C., uh, back in 2010. He's also the one who hacked a touchscreen voting machine that turned it literally into a game of Pac-Man. He tries to warn that the failed cyber attack in Florida was just the tip of the iceberg. He explained to NBC's um, uh, to, to NBC News that, quote, an attack somewhat more sophisticated than the one in Florida, completely within the norm for computer fraud these days, would likely be able to circumvent the checks. David Jefferson of Livermore National Lab, we've had him on this show. He's a member of the Board of Directors at Verified Voting. He once again warns, as he has many times, that this is a national security issue, and that Internet voting in particular poses threats to uh, national security. He told NBC, quote, the legitimacy of government depends on it being impossible for single parties to change the results of elections. David Jefferson told me that whoever did this, whoever did this Florida attack is clearly capable of engaging in online registration fraud or online vote fraud. 
Jeremy Epstein, senior computer scientist at SRI International, warns about the perils of Internet voting in the NBC story as well. He says, quote, the overwhelming consensus of the computer science community is don't do it. It's a bad idea. And finally, Cleveland State uh, University's election integrity expert and law professor Candace Hoke, she cut right to the chase, warning that while politicians may see Internet voting as a way to increase turnout for their voters and election officials may see such schemes as a way to save money on polling, ballot printing costs and manual labor, the real cost to democracy uh, with Internet voting ultimately outweighs everything else. She says it's cheap if you don't care whether elections are stolen. Let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky. Hey, Dizzy Doyen. Hey. How's it going? It's going okay. Uh, before we get to the Green News Report, there was a story we covered I want to hit real quickly. We covered in last week's Green News Report uh, one that uh, we, we didn't play uh, here on the broadcast because it was on, I think, Thursday's report. Right. Uh, set this up for us very quickly, uh, and then we'll get to the uh, to the regular Green News Report. This, this is the Tennessee story. Yes, this is a uh, and hilarious commercial out of Tennessee. It's a conservative group that um, has decided that they're against mountaintop removal coal mining. And mountaintop removal coal mining is where they blow off the top of the mountain. Coal companies blow off the top of the mountain to get the juicy coal inside. They push off all the rubble, you know, millions in tons of rubble uh, total down into streams and valleys below. And now a Chinese company has bought a uh, subsidiary of one of theirs is is an American coal company, and they've bought this company, and they want to now use mountaintop removal for this coal company that they bought. So the right-wingers who have been in favor of blowing off the tops of mountains down in the south of Tennessee, all of a sudden they're against it. This is clip number 12. This is the commercial that they put out. Uh, Just It's so hilarious. We have to play it. For six years, Tennessee's leaders have failed to protect our God-given mountains from the mountaintop removal coal mine. And now, under their watch, Tennessee has become the first state in our great nation to permit the red Chinese to destroy our mountains and take our coal. The same folks who hold our debt, hack our businesses, and have the worst conservation record in the world. We're proud that Tennessee is a red state, but just how red are we willing to go? How red are we willing to do? The red shiny. Yeah, now they care. You know, mountaintop (laughs) removal coal mining has been destroying most of West Virginia for decades now. They're God-given mountains, Desiree. Apparently, they only care for the last, uh, since Obama came into power. Yeah, now those... Red Chinese. I love it. Hysterical. All right, let's get to the latest uh, Green News report, and then we'll come back uh, with Desi for another minute or two. The war is on. Water wars in the U.S. We're down about half the number of marks, and this is serious. Bad year for butterflies. Exxon fined for Yellowstone River pipeline spill. Russia stockpiling snow for the 2014 Winter Olympics. 
Plus, Apple Computers goes renewable. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. The global warming advocate is as wrong as anybody could be about anything, folks. It's a hoax. There is no man-made global warming. Yes, that is still Rush Limbaugh's story, and he's still sticking to it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Des, it seems no matter how many studies, no matter how much information, no matter how many disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires, drought, Rush Limbaugh and the deniers on the right are going to stick to their story I want to say come hell or high water. So how can you undo that mess with today's news, Desi Doyen? (laughs) Well, I can't. But hey, we'll try anyway. First, water wars in the U.S. The state of Georgia is going all out to secure water rights. The Georgia State Senate on Monday passed legislation to officially move Georgia's border with Tennessee. That's in order to claim water from the Tennessee River, and it's part of a 200-year-old border dispute. As Chattanooga Today says... If Tennessee doesn't agree, the dispute could go before the Supreme Court. If it comes to that point, more than 30,000 Tennessee residents could wake up one morning in a new state without ever having moved. So this is remarkable. It brings two questions to mind. One, can they legally do this? Can they just declare they're moving their own borders? Or does that really mean war? And two, how much of this is due to global warming, to uh, a suddenly new need uh, for water rights in the state of Georgia? Well, to your first question, they can legally try to do it, and they'll probably have to take it all the way to the Supreme Court because Tennessee obviously disagrees. As to global warming, yes, the area has been in a persistent drought, part of the historic drought that has hit the U.S. over the last several years. So they're trying to secure water rights in preparation for consistent, persistent drought in coming years. But this is Georgia where where all the denialists live. Uh, how can they on one breath say that we need more water because global warming is uh, drying us out? The Georgia Senate is not using global warming in their reasoning. They're just trying to get water rights in the middle of a persistent drought. And finally, if there is a war, which state wears blue and which state wears gray? <laughs> That's a great question. I have no idea. We'll look forward to it. Bad year for butterflies. Monarchs are in trouble. Populations are going down due to habitat loss, seriously down. We're down about half the number of monarchs at the overwintering sites than we saw in the 90s. That was Chuck Taylor, director of Monarch Watch at the University of Kansas. A new survey of monarch butterflies shows their numbers have fallen at their winter breeding grounds in Mexico to the lowest levels since record-keeping began. It's partly due to U.S. farmers who have used herbicides that have killed off the primary food source for monarch butterflies. It's also due to recent record swings in extreme weather. And it's not just monarchs in the U.S. Extreme weather is also behind the dramatic decline of butterflies in Britain this year. The lowest population of butterflies ever recorded in the United Kingdom. What's the price of an oil spill into one of the nation's most scenic rivers and a source of drinking water? $1.7 million. Just $1.7 million is all ExxonMobil will have to pay in federal civil penalties for their pipeline spill into the Yellowstone River in 2011. Which they make in, what, five minutes or so? Oh, they make over $100 million in profit every day. So this $1.7 million fine is because federal regulators say Exxon failed over an extended period of time to 
recognize threats to the pipeline that dumped an estimated 63,000 gallons of crude oil, fouled the water, and killed wildlife along a 70-mile stretch of the river. It pays for these fossil fuel companies to ignore the law. And if they get caught doing it, to pay a little fine, a little slap on the wrist, and everything's fine. Yeah, they'll hardly notice it. Amazing. Some good news. Apple Computers has announced it is now powering its data centers around the world with 100% renewable energy. And that's not all. In their just-released environmental report, Apple says renewable energy now powers 75% of all of its operations around the world. That's double its use of renewable energy since 2010. Finally... The host city for the next Winter Olympics is stockpiling snow. This year, winter was unseasonably warm in the northern Russian resort town of Sochi, the next host of the 2014 Winter Olympics next February. They are so worried that they won't have enough snow for next winter that they are transporting and storing some 450,000 cubic meters of snow from this winter up to the mountains nearby and are covering it with what organizers call a special thermo seal to protect it from melting during the summer. Is this again because of global warming. Well, it would be a reasonable assumption based on all of the studies and information that we have so far showing changes in precipitation and a warming Arctic. Well, if you're going to start making reasonable assumptions, Rush Limbaugh is not going to be very happy. You can find more about all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today at our website, greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. <laughs> Desi Doyen, you win a gold uh, a gold medal for today's Green News Report. Well, thanks. Well Just to, real quick, tomorrow, yeah. we got uh, two new uh, reports tomorrow for our Green News Report. One mm-hmm. of them is that a new study has come out that has linked earthquakes in Oklahoma to fracking injection wells. You know, that's where they place mm-hmm. the wastewater from fracking. So hydraulic fracturing itself didn't cause the earthquake, but the wastewater injection well after fracking is what is appearing to be ca- causing the biggest earthquake Oklahoma has ever experienced. More evidence that yeah. We are causing earthquakes. I know, and now we're uh, actually and the California legislature is going to consider whether or not to allow fracking in the Monterey Shale up near Monterey. What could possibly go wrong? Right. Oh my God, unbelievable! Yep. I will look forward to that, and uh, folks can download that on iTunes. They can listen to it on uh, Stitcher Radio, uh, TuneIn Radio. If you uh, if you miss the Green News Report and, until yes, and also at Bradblog.com. Oh yeah, thanks. Greennews.bradblog.com. <laughs> if you miss us until we return next week, same Brad time, same Brad channel. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, Margot Paez, our associate, our super duper associate producer. Good to see you. Margo. Uh, thanks to G on our soundboard and my guest Mike Rogers. Stay tuned for the uh, 4 o'clock report with John Wiener. He will have more on the gay rights hearings today at the Supreme Court from somebody who was in the courtroom. You're not going to want to miss that. We'll be back next week, as I say, same time. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Find me there. Tweet me at the Bradblog. Good night, America.